The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Okay. We live? Good morning. Good morning, Refuge Church. While you are finding your seats, I want to give a big shout out to Bob Schaefer, who was under the knife, literally, this week, and is still, still holding down the, uh, the video and tech part over there. So he, uh, yeah. So he's, uh, he literally went through surgery this week. Um, quite impressive. We're going to start with a prayer of confession today from Psalm 51, and you'll see later how this ties into the sermon, but there is a prayer in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, that says, um, has these words, and I think if these words don't now describe your life, your heart, your passion, Um, This is just setting you up for a great prayer of confession. These words, pure heart, steadfast spirit, joy of salvation. Those are are things we we just want more than anything. I mean, what would it look like? And and perhaps this is, is you, you're living in this pure heart. It says in Matthew 5, the pure heart will see God. Steadfast spirit, man, I'm... Lots going on, but my spirit's just, it's faithful, faithfully going in the direction of God. Joy and salvation, where people are just enjoying what God has done, what he is doing in our lives. And this is the prayer that David prays, because when he prays this prayer, he's not feeling there. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Let me read that once more and give you time for your own prayer of confession. Create me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Go ahead and offer your own prayers of confession. God, we pray with King David that you will create, you will literally rebuild, shape in us pure hearts so we can see you and enjoy a relationship with you, enjoy the relationship that's ours, that we know in Christ and 
Yeah, we do pray for joy in your salvation. It is countercultural to be joyful and to be hopeful. And yet we can be, not because of who we are or what we see here on earth, but because of who you are and your promises. Help us hear those again today and believe them. I thank you for the forgiveness and salvation that's ours in Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to do something a little different uh, for this sermon series. We're going to have, uh, it's kind of a, a rush through in some ways, the first, uh, uh, the book of First Peter. And since we're going to have a sermon that, that finds its place in each of the five chapters, uh, we're going to take time at the beginning just to read the entire chapter, to do a public reading of scripture uh, for you to enjoy. And we'll have someone come up and do that. So my, my mom... Uh, Cindy Frederick it, also she goes by Cindy Frederick is going to be ooh is, uh, and some spoken word while she's at it um, is going to be reading the first chapter of First Peter I think you're okay it's okay. just a chord Thank you, Bob. You're moving pretty quick for having surgery this week, Bob. <laughs> At least I'm not lifting. I'll trade you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, <clears throat> Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though do you, you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, 
when they spoke of these things that had that had now been told that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life and handed down to you from your ancestors, ancestors, but instead with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Mm. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, last night I was talking to someone and... Um, <clears throat> about how we're starting a new sermon series this week, and they said, oh yeah, another one with a depressing title. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> Faith in troubling times. <laughs> I will explain why that's not a depressing title later, but I'll start with the intro. Are you troubled by what you see happening in the world? In this sermon series, we'll read Peter's letter to churches who are also living in troubling times. In this letter, we read, read words like grief, suffering, and anxiety. Peter is writing to people who are struggling to live by faith in a world that seems to be falling apart. Listen and discover how Jesus is a living hope in troubling times. <clears throat> Now, to explain a little bit of why this is not a depressing title before we jump in, um, because it's interesting, you know, when we speak about who God is, and we speak, I, you know, I'm very conscious of this when we preach every week that people are carrying with them what they've brought from the week. Um, It's interesting that when we get a, uh, and I'm not picking on who said this because it's true. If I if I read this title, I would I would think of all the things that trouble me, which are many. Um, to name a few, um, I just <laughs> did a mental inventory of 
what I've read this last week in the news, and it not only involved the Mariners losing three games in a row. Um, for, Oh, you're, that's so funny. Yeah, that, yeah. And a lot of life lost. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I mean, literally, uh, um, <clears throat> the first thing that came to mind of news I've read recently is um, comments made by the president uh, at a fundraiser event that said, we have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it's true. I mean, it, while it seems sensational, um, the threats that are being made right now, we really haven't seen something like that since the 1960s. Another headline I, I um, saw and read the article was, Is America Headed for Another Civil War? This, uh, including last Sunday till today, actually till last night, so a week, there was 12 mass shootings um, in the U.S., repeated over and over, right, just headline after headline. It's like, man, didn't I read this one? No, this is a new city. Denver, Colorado, Worcester, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New Bern, North Carolina. I have the whole list here. I just wrote them down so I could see them. This is, this is what we're reading. So <clears throat> we do live in troubling times, but the, the key word that I want you to grab a hold of in this sermon series and what I want you to, to grab a hold of in Paul's letter as a whole is the word faith. Paul writes this letter for the encouragement of the church in Galatia, Pontus, Bithynia. This is for their encouragement, but he's writing people also in troubling times. But it isn't the troubling times that he focuses on. And it's not the troubling times we will focus on. We will focus on that word faith that in our, in our modern day, doesn't have a lot of strength. It's a word that is a soft word. It's a word that doesn't have power. It doesn't hold the importance and the hope that you read in Hebrews 11 where it says this, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured and refused to be released because they wanted the better resurrection. That is, that is faith we are talking about here, not the faith we use. That's why in Coffee O, I'm using the word, we're a Christian organization a lot more now than I'm using the word of faith-based organization because honestly, people hear faith-based organization and they're like, oh, cool. You know, they're like, and what do you like on your sandwich? It's just, it, it isn't, it doesn't matter to people if you're a person of faith because they hear that and you're like, well, that doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything. It's not... It's not a word, it's not a truth that shuts the mouths of lions and quenches the fury of flames and people receive back their dead to life. And so when we read something like Faith in Troubling Times, literally we, we go, oh man, these are hard times. Nuclear war. And we don't, we don't see faith and we're like, yes. What Jesus has promised, what Jesus has done is bigger, more powerful, more important than any headline I could read. 
When you read these things that are happening day in and day out, do you have hope? Is your faith one that you read those things and you are grieved by them, you pray because of them, but you hold to Jesus and his promises? Now, Peter's writing to a church that is going through something, I think, arguably far worse than we are experiencing now, or even the headlines, as horrible as they are. Peter was writing in Rome. The word he uses to describe Rome is Babylon. It was kind of this shorthand for Rome. He's like, I'm writing from Babylon. He's in Rome. A couple years later, he's literally going to be crucified upside down on a cross because he didn't want to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And so when he gets put to death, he requests that he'll get crucified upside down. This is the kind of culture, this kind of time he's living in. The emperor at the time is named Nero. And Nero is, is not just figuratively deranged, he is literally deranged. Historians think that there was something wrong with him because of how cruel of a person he was. Soon after Paul's writing with this letter, um, Nero sets Rome on fire and burns three quarters of it to the ground and to avoid blame himself, blames Christians and uses that blame to then start systematically killing them, which includes him lighting them on fire as torches in his garden for his garden parties. That's crazy. This is the time Paul is writing in when we're talking about faith in troubling times. But when he writes, he says, this is for the encouragement of you in troubling times. And you read this letter and it is profoundly hope-filled. It is good news throughout the book, even though he's writing things to them Like in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief of all trials. But the culture of the people, even in Galatia, Bithynia, Pontus, this place in Turkey, that will, if they haven't yet experienced the persecution that he is experiencing, and it will be experiencing to greater extent where he's at. Do you have hope? Do you have the hope that Peter is talking about? A hope that will see you through these times we're in and if any harder times come. Do you have hope? What I want you to see and what we're looking at today in 1 Peter 1 is that saved people, people who can say, I've been saved by Jesus, can and do see the world differently. It's a must if you've been saved by Jesus, if he rescued you. You can see the world differently, and I will show you how. I'm going to just start again by reading verses 1 and 2, because there's a context here that is important for us to grasp if we're going to get this book. Verses 1 and 2, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiled, scattered through promises of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace to you in abundance. There's three things he mentions here that you have to get if you're going to get this book. And the first thing is this. He uses the word elect and then uses the word chosen. This is not a book for everybody. It's important. It might sound crazy and harsh. It is not. This is not a book. If you have not put your faith in Jesus and have received his salvation, this book, the hope that is in this book, 
will mean nothing to you and make no sense to you. You can't, you can't be a casual observer when Christians are getting sent to the lions and go, mm, I'm kind of a part of that. No, you're in or you're out. That, that, it was black and white then, and, and it is even today. You're either part of this group of people who put their faith in Jesus and are, are experiencing the salvation that is uniquely found in Jesus Christ, or, or you're not. This isn't Daniel going hard on you guys. This is literally what's in the text. To God's elect, exiles scattered through the province of Pontius, Galatia. And this isn't, he's not talking here about um, the Jewish people who have been scattered. He's, he's literally in Rome, the Gentile capital of the world. And he's preaching there. Paul, Peter is the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He's preaching there to the Gentiles there. And he's seeing the people of God. There's a, there's a new formation of the people of God. Not just, not just people who are by blood related to Abraham, but by, related, related by faith to Abraham. And these people are scattered throughout the world. People who are reading this that know that this place, wherever you are, whether you're in Bremerton or Galatia, you are, if you're here on planet Earth, away from home. That is what it means to be an exile. Elect, chosen, picked by God, like Jesus said in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Exiles. People who know this because Jesus also said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but you don't belong to the world, so it doesn't love you as its own. John 17 says, they are not, he's praying of the church, the people who had not seen him but love him, as Peter says here, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Philippians 3, Paul writes, but our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. So we're elect, means if you don't know Jesus, there's hope in this book you're not gonna get. And if you get that hope, you realize this isn't your home. He starts off strong. That's literally the first like four words of his letter. <laughs> Elect and exiles. Well, he's not beating around the bush. He's getting right to it. And this is important for us because I think the way we, we live today, we're just okay with it being, faith being soft, faith being squishy. Well, okay, I think we're... If you're getting fed to the lions, you can't. The last thing that's so important in this introduction, it is, it is amazingly, wonderfully Trinitarian. You might have no idea what I just said. Listen to this. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. It's one of those beautiful places in Scripture that you just see how the Godhead is working together. Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is so important because they're putting, getting put to death for this. To say Jesus is Lord would get them put to death in one place. To say Jesus is truly God, he is the Son of God, meaning that God the Father, Yahweh, who, who Jews knew as Yahweh, 
begot Jesus, right? This is John 3.16, his only begotten son, who is authentically, eternally God also. We get them put to death somewhere else, right? It's just this amazing time where we're like, hey guys, this is what we're all getting put to death for. This is what we believe. We have been chosen by God because it was his idea, not ours. We're exiled, meaning this place isn't our home, and we're getting put to death because we are living... By the grace of God, his foreknowledge, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, which is him doing an amazing work in our hearts to be obedient to Jesus. Bring on the lions. Now, I probably could just finish there because that's a lot to digest. (laughs) But that's just literally his introduction. Okay? So, where do we go from here? Well, as I said, he is just getting started. He goes on writing to these people who are daily choosing, do I name the name of Jesus? Daily, they're they're choosing to name the name of Jesus and then getting brought before magistrates. They're getting sent to the lions. They're experiencing all sort of rejection because of this. And he rolls right into one of the most beautiful hope-filled pieces of writing ever. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, man, I know you're having such a hard time. No. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The first thing we see here is this, that the Christian life and the Christian's outlook on life is profoundly different. Now, you've probably heard the old saying that's never well-received. Only two things are guaranteed, death and taxes, right? What, we're trying to, what people try to get out with that is we don't know what to do with life. We all were born, we're here. But what is the meaning and purpose of that life? What are the things required of us? Taxes. And eventually, you and I both will die. But the Christian has narrowed in on something that is different than every other option. Instead of it being birth, we kind of make it up ourselves, and then death, the Christian outlook is this. And you can see here, I'll show you. First birth, and we're born into a life of trespasses and sins. As for you, you lived in your trespasses and sins. We were born into a life not in relationship with God, but rejecting God. I see it in my kids. I saw it in myself. I see it in you, right? It's the truth. That is our first birth. But the Christian believes in a second birth, to be born again. And this is, this is awesome. It, you, it literally uses the same word here in verse 3 as it does in the end of the chapter where it talks about being born again. 
But here it says, you've been given new birth into a living hope. So we believe not only in the first birth, but there is a second birth for the person who has put their faith in Jesus. And after that second birth, it is not business as usual. It is, we've entered a phase called living hope. That, that should define the existence of a Christian. Living hope. And then, for the Christian, it doesn't end in death. It ends in eternal life. So this is the different, the vastly different outlook of a Christian. And <laughs> if you are like me, which we are, we lose sight of this. We fall back into first birth, going to try to figure out what's going on, and then I'm going to die at some point. Right? We revert back to, I guess I just do I just make it up from here? When the, the Christian perspective, the, the perspective we're given by Peter is this. There's a first birth. We're dead to our trespasses and sins. The second, there's a second birth. We are born again into a living hope. And then what follows that isn't death for good. It's not entering a void. It's not decomposing only. It is eternal life that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That's good. Because I feel like we could just spend the rest of the time repeating that first birth, second birth, living hope, eternal life. First birth, second birth, living hope, eternal life. Why do we need to hear that over and over again? Because so many of us are caught where? We're caught in this like, make it up from here? And, and I do that just as much, and maybe more than any of you. I, spend, I wake up and I'm like... Okay, another one. Here we go, right? And then, and then you're, like, <laughs> you're like, this is a tough one. And you're like, fall asleep. And you're like, I guess we're going to do that again. You know, that's kind of what we do. What does it look like? Well, this is what, what Peter says. And let me just read it for you, and I hope you hear it here. In his great mercy. And that's, that's <laughs> the first birth is kind of built out in a lot of other places. And you hear it, hear it here in the end where it says you were born with imperishable seed, and then you're born the imperishable seed. That is that first birth. In his great mercy, meaning it wasn't according to what you did, but according to what he did, he has given us new birth. Born again. That is the good news that Christians have said yes to in Jesus. And the, the person I am has been literally restored made new in Jesus into a living hope through, and this is, it's defined here, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. My living hope is that death couldn't hold Jesus. What we knew is the finality of the life of all people was destroyed in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's my living hope. Then if death couldn't be Jesus and I'm his, it can't, nothing can touch me now. Like, literally, there's, there's wars going on. There's a lot happening. I can be afraid, still afraid for my kids as they go to school, maybe. Like, there's a lot going on in this world. But I still have this living hope that this isn't it. Because from this life I have, that day by day is living according to the hope of not who I am, but who he is and who he says I am. Because we forget that and we have to be reminded I am living into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept where? Not in your bank account, not in the safe you have in your closet, 
It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation. Guys, you will go through flames, you might go through lions, you might go through all these, like, remember who he's writing to. This is not easy times. They are struggling, they're wrestling with these things. But their living hope is that their life is ultimately hidden in Christ. And you, regardless of what you're going through, life might be so, so, so hard. You might be trying to figure out where you're at, but you are surrounded by Jesus. You are loved by Jesus. That is your hope, is that if death couldn't beat Jesus, your struggles can't beat Jesus. And that is kept in heaven for you. But you didn't end there. <laughs> it goes on. This is a personal thing. Your decision, your part you get to play is an incredibly personal thing between you and God. It is a communal thing. I believe that. You're part of the family of God. But you can't read this and get around the incredibly personal nature of this. I'm just going to read here um, at, the, at the end uh, in verse 8 and 9. But you can hear this if, if you read the whole thing. He says, you, 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 over again. And he says it so many times, eventually you're like, man, he's just not talking about the we that he also speaks about. He's literally talking to individuals in each church. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your salvation the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, you. When people were listening to this, as it was being read aloud, they heard you, you, you over again. And we're not falling into like a weird individualism. We are saying that <clears throat> there is something, there is a faith that wasn't your parents, that isn't even this church's, that is yours. It's very unique. It's very precious between you and God. God loves the world. God saves his people, the church, and God has called you. Ephesians uh, 2.10 talks about this, this incredible masterpiece that God is making in you. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works God prepared in advance. He has called you, he has invited you into something incredibly personal. And we saw this just a couple weeks ago in the sermon I preached, where, where Jesus was asking Peter what? Remember the question he asked him? Do you love me? He's, he's sitting with Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus asks you this too, because what happens at the end of that time? Jesus has asked Peter three times, and Peter looks at John, who just seems to be like, you know, wanting to be near Jesus, and he's kind of hanging out in the background, and uh, and, and Peter goes, well, what about him? And, and what does Jesus say? It's not for you to know about him. This is the conversation between the two of us. You have not seen him, but you love him. You might not right now be experiencing the living hope that's being talked about. You might be holding on. Your knuckles might be white as you're trying to navigate what's going on in the world, or your life personally. Well, the hope for you here is there's an inheritance in heaven for you that can't perish, spoil, or fade. If you're God's, and he chose you, and it's literally the wording here, it's like, man, if he thought of you, 
invited you, you're his. There's nothing you can do to break that. So it's personal. I really, it's an interesting thing to say here because it goes from this, man, what's happening kind of on a global scale, Asia, Bithynia, Glacia, to this incredibly personal, knowing each person in that church will be making a decision whether they will name the name of Jesus or not. The church couldn't say it as a whole. It had to be each individual naming the name of Jesus, right? You get that? And it has to be you too. The third thing is this. <clears throat> there is one word to describe the entire Christian life. And that word is salvation. You're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you're a Christian, you have been saved, born again. You are being saved, a living hope, and you will be saved, and that is your internal inheritance. So you oftentimes think of it in this linear fashion of like, well, I was saved back, you know? No, you, if, you, <laughs> if you're a Christian, you know this, the struggle ain't over, right? <laughs> like, you are being saved. There's this living hope that daily is being held out for you in Christ Jesus. That is the sanctifying work of the Spirit it speaks about here. That helps us be obedient to Jesus through the sprinkling of his blood. You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. You might be in a time where you aren't feeling that living hope. And there's times you, you might need to focus on different parts. It might be that now you aren't experiencing, but you look back and you're like, man, I remember the day... Jesus made sense to me and I put my faith in him. Or you might be in that time where you're like, man, I'm not getting it now, but I know Jesus has me. I know momentarily I don't feel great, but eternally I am his. <laughs> Maybe that's something, you just write it down right now. Right? Maybe that's something that you literally need to go back and read. I don't feel great right now, but eternally I am his. I don't feel great right now, but eternally I am his. Um, this is... Yeah, this is so personal. Honestly, like last year we were going through the, the death of my father. And it was, it was so interesting to go from kind of a, in some ways a theoretical view of eternal life to, man, my dad's there. <laughs> like I, there was this very, and I've shared this with you, this very tangible, it's almost like I could feel it. Like someday I will hug my dad again. Because there is an inheritance for me that he is now enjoying that cannot perish, spoil, or fade. And there's days that I am so, so beat up that my dad is not here. But there's an inheritance he is enjoying right now that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will ultimately be saved. If you don't think you need rescue... You have no idea what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> right? Amen? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got to be there like, yes, I need rescue. That is what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian does not mean I have it all together, but I know I need to be saved. That is what it means. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because in his great mercy, he has done this. That is why in these troubling times we can say praise be to God. That means salvation can reach 
any third world country and can reach any dark prison cell, no matter how despairing or depressed or lost someone feels, salvation can reach them where they're at. It's true. That is the word that describes the Christian life. Saved. I am saved. I'm rescued from myself for God. We can talk about this all day, guys. (laughs) So what do we do about this? What do we do with this good news, this living hope? We see the world differently. We see the world through salvation. That we have not just received a first birth, but a second birth, which is into our living hope. We see the world differently. Are you seeing the world differently? Or do you read it and despair because you're just living in your first birth? If you have been born again, you can read that and respond with faith. Faith that shuts the mouths of lions. Faith that conquers kingdom. Faith that raises people from the dead. Faith. True, biblical faith. Not because of who you are and the power of yourself, but because of who God is and his power. It's all based on him. And our saying yes to his rescue. So, the beginning for this for many of us might be going back to Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit in me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, God. Don't, God, I need you close. And restore to me, what? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. It is countercultural and it's uniquely Christian that we can be hopeful in these troubling times, that we can be faithful in these troubling times. But I want to encourage you, if you are not feeling faithful and you're not feeling hopeful in these troubling times, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've thrown your anchor and held to him, right now it might need to be remembering that first moment of faith. Or it could be really the light that is before us, that we are his forever, that we have an inheritance even though we might not be feeling faithful now, an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, as he loves you and you personally more than you can ever imagine. Praise be to God. Pray with me. God, I'm just, I'm so reminded preaching this that we don't deserve this. God, we, don't, we don't wake up and go, well, I did this and so I deserve this from God. It is because of your mercy. See here in verse three, it's because of your mercy and your kindness. Your kindness leads us to repentance. God, give us eyes to see your salvation. Give us minds to remember your salvation. Give us hearts to be excited about your coming salvation and our inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. God, I pray that this church will be a people that see faith as the big word. (laughs) Not our troubles, but faith. (laughs) 
that to put our hope in your promises is more firm than anything happening now. That to put our trust in Jesus who came, the physical person who died a physical death and was raised to incorruptible life and that life is now ours. To put our faith in that is more reality than anything else. God, I pray that the the boldness and courage and confidence of Peter in this letter will reach us here. It will give us confidence and boldness because we saw what he was going through and what would go through and what the Christians back then were going through, what they would, they knew was ahead of them because of the movement of culture. God, I pray that we will see their courage and be courageous. We will see their faith and we will be faithful in these times we live in now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we do every week, we are taking communion together and we invite you to be prayed for. Joe and Rachel are over there. They would love to pray for you. Um, please, 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 if, if you don't know how to pray for yourself and need prayer, <laughs> be prayed for. If there's something you've been carrying by yourself, be prayed for. This is not just for, you know, this is not just for the select few. I, I love getting prayed for. <laughs> please take advantage of that. Secondly, we take communion remembering that it is Jesus' giving of his own life that gives us hope. That's why we do it every week. Every week we need to be remembered. It is his death and resurrection that saves us, and so that's what we do. If you need to make it right with somebody else or make it right with God, do that before you take communion. Take time. Ask God to forgive you. He is ready and willing. Ask somebody else to forgive you. It will be healing. So please do that before you take communion. Let's worship together.